Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Or you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. And uh, while you're getting over to Psalm 100, we are continuing this morning with a uh, series that we started a couple of weeks ago titled The Lost Art of Gratitude. And, you know, we look at the things that are going on around us in the world today, and it makes us weary, right? Like, it makes us weary. We, we don't know what to think. We don't know what's going on. And because of that, for so many, it feels like their joy, their gladness, their heart of thanksgiving, their spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude towards the Lord just seems to be diminished or, you know, there's a lack thereof. And so we've been talking about what it means to be thankful and what it means to have gratitude. And Cody got us started by talking about the reason that we have to be grateful and thankful in the first place is because of what God has done for us, what he's withheld from us, because what we deserve is the wrath of God. And instead, he has given us mercy. And then last week, we were in First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we talked about these commands that Paul gave to the church at Thessalonica, this, or these commands to rejoice always in all situations, in all circumstances. We are to rejoice always, no matter what trials we're facing, no matter what obstacles seem to be in our path. We have reasons to rejoice in him because of what he has blessed us with, every spiritual gift through Jesus Christ. And then we talked about praying continually, and it doesn't mean to wake up in the morning and you start praying and you don't stop praying throughout the whole day. You just go 24 hours all the way through the day without taking a breath to, to stop praying. It's not that, but what it is is it's living a life of continual prayer. Throughout the day, you are taking time to stop and pray and to give everything to God. Whatever situations you're experiencing at home, at work, in your relationships, you stop and you, you pray about those things. And, you know, maybe things are good. Well, you give him praise, right? And so we're to pray continually. And then it says that we are to give thanks in all circumstances. No matter what trials, no matter what things are happening, you are to give him thanks because he is worthy of our thanks for everything that he has done for us, all the blessings that he blesses us with. If we looked at just even the, the basic things that we take for granted, like you know having a place to lay our head, and having food to eat, having clothes to wear, we are thankful for those things. But even if we didn't mention any of those things, we should all be thankful for what, again, he has done for us. And this is his will for us. This is, these are his commands. This is what he wants from us to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks in all things. But now we move over to Psalm 100. And if you didn't know what a psalm is, a psalm is a song or poem that is used in worship. And there's different types of psalms. And this psalm that we are looking at this morning is a thanksgiving psalm. And I actually really, really love this. I say, actually, I love all the Psalms, but this one I, I really love. And I, I think the reason I love it so much is because it does a really interesting thing with structure. It both invites us into praise and worship, and then it explains how and why we praise and worship him. You see, praise and worship... To our Father is an important way that we show thanksgiving and gratitude. I don't know about you, but when I take the time to lift up praise and I worship my Heavenly Father, 
it kind of gets me in the right headspace. It helps me to see all the things that I have to be thankful for. And that's what this is. It's a, a psalm of thanksgiving, and praise and worship is an important way to build thanksgiving and gratitude towards our Heavenly Father. John Piper once said it like this, Worship is an inward feeling, an outward action that reflects the worth of God. And I really like how A.B. Simpson once put it. He said, Begin to rejoice in the Lord, and your bones will flourish like an herb, and your cheeks will glow with the bloom of health and freshness. Worry, fear, distress, care, all are poisonous. Joy is balm and healing. And if you will rejoice, if you will but rejoice, God will give power. And so as we look at Psalm 100 and this invitation to worship and how we are to approach him in worship and why we approach him in worship, I really think it will help build in us gratitude and thanksgiving to our Lord and Savior. And so we're going to start in the first two verses here. In Psalm 100, and it says this, A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Really, at the core of Psalm 100, it's this idea of coming into the presence of God, coming before God. And here it starts to tell us how we approach the presence of God. And it starts with this idea of making a joyful noise making a joyful noise. You see, joy is a deep inner gladness. It's a feeling of great joy and happiness, but I really love this definition of joy. It's the response and reaction our soul feels when we come to know Christ. That's what joy is. And so we are to make a joyful noise, or some translations say, shout for joy. That's what we're called to do in our joy, in our gladness, in this feeling of great joy and happiness that we have because of what God has done for us. We are to make a joyful noise. Psalm seventy-one twenty-three says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. Isaiah twelve six says, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. In our joy, we sing, we shout for joy. We make a joyful noise because of what God has done for us. And then it says, all the earth, all the earth, everyone in this earth, everyone, every person, every tribe, every, or every tongue, every single person should praise God for what it is he has done. Each and every one of us should praise him for who he is and what he's done. Psalm 98.4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. And then it says, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now, some believe that this word serve is the right word, and it's that idea that we serve the Lord and doing good works, and we are all called to serve the Lord and to do what God has called us to do, to use the gifts that God has given us to do his work. Some believe that this word serve actually means worship. We're to worship the Lord, but either way we use that word, notice the word that comes after, serve the Lord, worship the Lord with gladness. Gladness, and this word gladness, it means to be pleased or delighted. And that's how we're to approach God. With We are pleased in Him. We are delighted in Him because of who He is. 
Psalm 32:11 says, "Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart." And so we're to be glad, and it says that we are to come into His presence. Come into his presence. When we worship him, we are coming into his presence. And, you know, in the Old Testament, when you think about coming into the presence of God, you might recall that when they were to go into the presence of God, they themselves couldn't go into the presence of God. Only the high priest could go into the presence of God on behalf of the people. And so they would take their uh, requests, they would take their sacrifices or offering before the high priest. And the high priest would go in to the presence for, on, for and on behalf of the people. But we know that because of Christ, because of the finished work of Christ, we now have access to God to be in his presence. And I think that's something that, you know, I was telling David just this morning, how often do we take that for granted? And I'm so glad that you don't have to come before me and say, hey, can you take this into the presence of God? You can go into the presence of God through prayer. You can do that. You don't have to have an intercessor because Jesus was the great high priest. He was the great intercessor. Hebrews ten nineteen through 23 tells us, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and with our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We can come into his presence because of what Christ has done. And you know what? In him, in his presence, is the fullness of joy. Joy finds its fullness when we are in the presence of God. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we come into his presence and it says we come into his presence with singing. With singing. We are to sing praises to him. We are to sing for his glory. We are to sing to him because of what he's done for us. And this is a hard one for many of us, isn't it? Singing. Because you may be thinking, like, I, I don't like singing. You know, you don't want me singing around you. You might be embarrassing. But let me tell you something about singing. It's actually very important, and I don't know about you, if you've ever paid attention to singing or this call to sing in Scripture, it doesn't come across like a suggestion. It doesn't come across like it's a, here's just a good idea kind of comes across as a command. We are commanded, we are called, we are told to sing praise to our King. We are told to sing praise to our our Lord and Savior. We are to sing in the presence of of our... We're to sing at home, we're to sing in the presence of one another. Colossians 3.16 tells us, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 5:19 addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You know, there's quite a few benefits to singing. You know, there is there, there's a, quite a few benefits to singing. For example, 
when we look back at these two verses we just read, one of the benefits is that when you're singing songs of praise to our King, to our Father in Heaven, it can help us to remember the Word and theological truths and doctrines if done correctly. This is why I say it's so important that we know theology. It's so important that we know doctrine because if we don't know theology and doctrine, if we don't know the Word, how are we going to know what's true and what's not true? The same goes in our songs. When we sing songs of praise to Him, those songs can help us to know the Word better and to know theological truth and doctrines. It's important that we pay attention to that. You know, one of the things that me and Noah and Colleen and Cody and David, we've all kind of had conversations about the songs we sing. And we, when we sing new songs, we, we talk about what's the meaning behind this song, what's the What's the aim in this song? What is the, the words that are being sang in this song? Are these words true? Are they false? It's important because, again, songs can help you to know the word and theological truths, but it also, it can build one another up. Have you ever thought about that? When you're singing together, it can encourage one another and build one another up. I don't know about you, but some of the most impactful moments that I've had in church is just standing next to somebody and just singing praise and being encouraged. They're singing, I'm singing, everybody is just making a joyful noise to him, and it's just inspiring. Again, look at those few verses that we just read in Colossians and Ephesians, and they're told to address one another in psalms and hymns and sing psalms and hymns to one another because it can build one another up. You know, singing can actually encourage us when we're in the midst of trials, when we're in the midst of circumstances that are, you know, beyond our liking. Sometimes just singing a song of praise to Him can help us again focus our mind on Him in the midst of those situations. One of my favorite texts in the book of Acts is Paul and Silas, they're in prison. They've been arrested, and look what it says in Acts 16, 24, and 25. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They are in prison, their feet are in the stocks, and they're praying and they're singing hymns to God. Their situation, the, the place they were in, didn't keep them from singing praise to their father. Psalm 5.11 says, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. You see, we can sing this morning because of the joy that is within us. And that joy is because we have entered into the presence of God and we know what it is he's done for us. James 5.13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so we see this invitation and then we move into verse 3 and this is the first kind of education. It says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So let's start at the beginning of verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. He is God. He is God. There's no other God but Him. He is the one true God. Yet people today want to tell you that that's not true. That's not true. You don't have to worship this God. There's several other gods that you can worship. You can worship whatever you want to worship. That's not true. 
No, you see, these things that people tell you you can worship, they're idols and they're cheap copies, they're cheap knockoff imitations because there is one true God, the God of Israel, the God that we worship and we praise, the one true God. He says he's God. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. 1 Corinthians 8.6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He is God. And then it says, it is he who made us. It is he who made us. He is creator. He's creator. He is creator God. Abraham Lincoln once said that I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. Louis Pasteur once said, the more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. Science brings men nearer to God. But again, people want to say that's not true. God didn't create. There is no God. Science is God. Funny how that works. They want to say that, you know, God didn't create anything. Science did. We evolved. We were created out of random chance, out of nothingness. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's a thing called the Goldilocks effect. And I had heard about this, but I'd never really heard it worded that way, the Goldilocks effect. And if you don't know what that is, I will read what uh, Jeff Miller in his article for Apologetics Press once wrote on this Goldilocks effect. It says, if the Earth's orbit was closer to the sun, if the average distance from the sun was reduced by only about three-tenths of a percent, disastrous atmospheric changes would occur including sea level rise, increases in extreme weather, species extinctions, and agricultural disruptions. As it makes its elliptical path around the sun, the earth bends from its straight course only one-ninth of an inch every 18 and a half miles. If the orbit changed by one-tenth of an inch every 18 miles, our orbit would be vastly larger and we would all freeze to death. One-eighth of an inch we would all be incinerated. In fact, the Earth's perfect distance from the sun is called the Goldilocks zone. There is not too close and not too far from the sun for water to be liquid on its surface. Earth's temperature is not too hot or not too cold. How amazing is that? That even just a small, tiny little change would have catastrophic impact and people want to say that that's random chance. No, to me, that screams creator. But you see, I think there's a reason why people want to reject the truth of God being a creator. And I think E. Paul Hovey says it best. Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. That's why people don't want to believe that God is creator. Because if there is a God who is creator and they know that that is truth, that God is creator, then they have to assume that all the other things that is written in the word is true. And when they see that what is written in the word is true, they have to change the way they live. And you see, God is creator. And what's amazing about this, it says that it is he who made us. The same God who created the cosmos, who put everything in its place, who hung the moon and the stars, he created us. 
Genesis 127, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Uh, one of my favorite verses right here, Psalm 139, 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then it says this, And we are his, and we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Wow. So we just, we, we just read about how he is creator, right? He is the creator of everything. And then it says, we are his. I don't know about you, but I have read this so many times in the past, and I just can't help but think to myself, how is this possible? How is it possible that the God who created everything, who created us, who put everything in its place, who is so big and beyond all that I can comprehend, how is it that he would call me his? It blows my mind, and I am so thankful that he calls us his we are his people. Ezekiel 34, 30, and 31. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. Psalm 14, 8. I love this. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. How amazing is that, that we are his. Then we go into verse 4. Verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And so, it's again, this idea of coming into the presence of God. Some believe that when it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, it's talking about entering into Jerusalem and entering into the temple at Jerusalem and going into the temple courts and making a a sacrifice, a thanksgiving sacrifice. But again, it's this idea of coming into the presence of God. And the first thing it tells us in verse 4 is that we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, it's an expression of gratitude towards God for what he's done for us. And we just mentioned some of the things that he's done for us. He's created us and he calls us his we are to give thanks. In First Chronicles sixteen thirty four, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And we talked about it last week in First Thessalonians. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. No matter what the situation is in our lives, we are to give him thanks. And we can give him thanks because he gives us everything that we need. He gives us every gift that we need. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then it says we're to enter his courts with praise. Praise at its core is expressing adoration and approval for what God has done for us. We praise him because of who he is and what he's done. And it's fitting that it says that we are to enter his courts with praise because if it's the courts where we make a thanksgiving sacrifice, we're told in scripture to make a sacrifice of praise. Psalm fifty twenty three: the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Hebrews thirteen fifteen and 16, 
Through him, let us, or let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we're to give thanks to him and it says bless his name. To bless his name means to speak well of God, to praise him, ascribe honor to him and acknowledge him as God. Acknowledge who he is. Then in verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So, here's another verse of, here's why. The education of it. And the first thing it says, it says, For the Lord is good. He is good, isn't he? The Lord is truly, truly good. What does it mean that God is good? Well, it means that God always acts in accordance to what is good, what is right, and what is true. There is no evil in him. There is no deceit in him. There is no darkness in him. Everything he is, is good. Everything about him is good. He is good, and because he is good, he does good. Psalm 119, 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. I think it's interesting that because he's good, when he creates, what does he call it? Good. Genesis 1:31. and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And his goodness is ultimately seen most in his plan for redemption. In our brokenness because we fall short of his glory because we look at the law and we can't live up to what the law tells us. We, we were in desperate need of a savior and he created this plan that was good. What do they call the gospels, by the way? The good news. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is a good, good God. And we can experience the goodness of God in our lives. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So he is good. And then it says his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. His love never runs out. It never stops. It never ceases God doesn't just stop loving. That's not who he is. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. You see, his steadfast love was shown in the covenant promise to his people. Man, look at what the nation of Israel did over and over and over and over and over again. And yet he still loved and it was shown in his covenant promise. Deuteronomy 7.9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And you see, his love endures no matter the situation. You see, whatever trials or situations that we have going on in our life doesn't stop God from loving us. And it shouldn't tear us away from the love of God. Romans 8, 35 and 39, or through 39, who shall, separ- yeah, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a love that endures, a love that keeps going, a love that does not stop, a love that does not cease. And you might be thinking, what about his love when I fall? Because I'm not perfect, I sin, I fall short of the glory of God. Does he still love me when I fall? Yes. But here's the thing, we know that there's consequence for our sin. We also know that there's a thing called discipline. And in his love for us, he disciplines us. Proverbs 3.12, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Hebrews 12.6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Revelation 3.19, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And that's the key word, repent, because the reason he disciplines us in his love is because it leads us into repentance. Lamentations 3, 39 through 41. Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, his love is steadfast. His love does not cease even when we fall. And yes, there will be discipline sometimes, and discipline is meant to lead us into repentance. That's the love that he has for us. And then it tells us here that he is faithful to all generations. His faithfulness exceeds to all generations. He is faithful. What does that mean, that God is faithful? It means that God remains true to his promises and his covenants. He is reliable and unwavering. What he says, he will do. If he says he's going to do something, he is going to do it. If he tells you this is what it is, then that is what it is. He is faithful in everything that he says and he does. It is one of his characteristics. Psalm 89.8, O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. And you may be wondering, how is he faithful? Give me some examples of how he is faithful. Well, in his faithfulness, he protects us. Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. In his faithfulness, he limits the temptations we face. 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So not only does he help us with our temptations, but he gives us a way to endure, a way of escape so that we can endure. And it is in his faithfulness that he forgives First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Psalm 100 invites us to do something. It invites us to come into his presence. And we come into his presence with joy, with gladness, with thanksgiving, with praise, with all of these things that he, are, or he is due. And why does he do these things? Because of who he is. 
because of who he is. He is God. He is creator, and we belong to him. He is good. His love is steadfast, and it endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations, past, present, future. That is who he is. And this morning, we have every reason to worship God because of who he is. If you want to talk about gratitude, if you want to talk about thankfulness, we have all the reasons this morning to praise and worship him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they make their way up here, again, we have every reason to worship God because of his characteristics, because of his nature, because of who he is and what he's done for us. And none bigger than the fact that he would send his son for us. We have every reason to praise and worship him. him. Just if we could think of no other reason but the fact that he was willing to send his son for us. We have every reason to praise and worship him. Romans 4, 23 and 20, or through 25 tells us this. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He sent his son for us, for our trespasses, for our sins, for our shortcomings, for our brokenness, for our flaws. He was sent for us. And so the question is this morning, have you given your life to him? We see all the reasons that we have to follow him, to live for him, to to serve him because of who he is. Have Have we made the choice to follow him? to worship him, to praise him this morning. If you haven't this morning, you can. On your connect cards, you can write it down. I'd love to talk with you. You could come up here and I'd love to talk with you about it. Or maybe you're here this morning and your praise has been lacking. Maybe your praise has been lacking and maybe you haven't been You haven't been very grateful or thankful for what God has done. Maybe the situations you're going through, the trials in life, the the things that have been happening has kind of killed your joy and you're thinking of this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, serve the Lord with gladness, sing songs of praise, you know, come into his courts with thanksgiving. How can I do any of this? I don't feel like doing any of this. Maybe this morning what you need to do is you need to spend some time just laying all that down at his feet. Maybe you need to spend some time praying. You can do that right where you're sitting or you can come up here. I'd love to pray with you. Amen. Let us live a life that shows our gratitude and our thanksgiving to him. Let us live a life of praise and worship to our king. Let us live a life that shows joy and gladness and thanksgiving and praise for what he has done for us. And here's the thing. We can start this morning. We can start right now. If you have a decision to make to follow him, if you need to spend time in prayer, please do so. But let us stand together and let us praise and worship and sing to our King.